Goodness, thank you, choir. That just tops off what we've been hearing this morning. Didn't that praise team do good with that Justin Timberlake song? They did a good job in our dancers and Stephen in the choir with Nearer My God to Thee and our drummers. It must be Pride Sunday. <laughs> Time to celebrate. Have you got that feeling in your body? Yeah, you got that feeling? Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about playing fair with that feeling. How's that? Talk a little bit about what it means to when we touch in this series to play fair. But I, I love that song, Nearer My God to Thee, because I think this series, each Sunday when we've talked about when we touch, we're talking about how in those occasions, in those moments of uh, desire and inspiration and contact, that we draw nearer to God. If we bring our whole being, if we bring who we are, know who we are into the context, then we, in all of these occasions, are nearer to God. As we love and as we are loved, and as we share our love with one another, nearer to God are we in those moments and times. I love that our reading this morning from Bromley says, we have to be sure in all of this touch that we, you know, name our limits, name what we're expecting and what we like and what we don't like and what's tolerable for us in relationships, not just with our bodies, but in relationships with our love, with our spirits, with our hearts, to be clear about these things. Because if we have different rules, there's no way for us to play fair. And some of you know about these different rules. I remember when Walter and I got together, we both thought sex was something different. And, and then we played this little game when he met some old friends of his. We would, I would say, well, did you have sex with him? And, and Walter would say, no. And I would say, by my definition, did you have sex with him? Because, you know, we define things a little bit differently and we need to know if we're talking the same thing when we make promises to each other, when we make vows to each other, and all of these different ways. So it was important for us to just be able to be clear. When I was uh, preparing for this sermon in the series, When We Touch and Playing Fair, I usually save them in a little file so I can come back to them and get them when I need them. And I made a typo on this sermon and I noticed when I went to pull the file up and instead of when we touch... I had changed one letter, and it was when we tough instead of touch. It was when we tough. Exactly the opposite of what the series has been about. Because when we tough, we put up barriers and walls and try to do everything on our own, and we don't need other people. When we tough, we do things like SB6 and SB4 in the legislature. When we tough, we legislate in Texas against families and allow more discrimination against families that people don't care for. Tell them we'll give you federal dollars, but we will let you discriminate in how you form families. That's when we tough. When we're in control, when we have to keep people apart from one another, when we have to say what's right and what's wrong, instead of when we allow the other to change us. When we allow the other to let us know God even more fully in our diversity and more fully in our difference. When we touch instead of when we tough. I ended the sermon last Sunday with a quote from Karen LeBach, a sexual ethicist and seminary professor, and she said, appropriate vulnerability may describe the basic intention for human life. And she says, Jesus in turn shows us the way to redemption by choosing not power, but vulnerability and relationship. Jesus shows us how, by choosing not power, but vulnerability and relationship. Jesus chooses to touch, to be in and among people and to touch and be touched. 
I would even say even to be changed by those that Jesus encountered, as we see in the scripture. So this can be challenging for us to know what appropriate vulnerability is these days. We have court cases about was consent given or not given, and people being confused about simple words and simple actions. But it seems we have to pay attention to it again. There's this movie that came out not too long ago uh, called The Sessions with Helen Hunt in it. And in the movie, it's a true story about a 40-year-old Mark O'Brien who lived life in an iron lung or with the assistance of an iron lung and had never had sex in his life. And so at 40 years old, he decides he doesn't want to be a virgin anymore. But this constraint, he has not been able to touch. He's been in an iron lung his whole life. And I want you to, to see with me the trailer to the movie to see some of the encountering challenges they had as he set about this goal to not be a virgin at 40. I understand you'd like me to hear your confession? Yes, I would. Not exactly a confession. I haven't yet done the deed. I'm here for you, Mark. Is it possible for me to know a woman in the biblical sense? Are we talking about sexual intercourse? I think so. Outside marriage? My penis speaks to me, Father Brendan. This therapist suggested I could work with a sex surrogate who would be sensitive to my unusual needs. In my heart, I feel like he'll give you a free pass on this one. Go for it. Yeah, maybe. Yes, it's good. Hi, Mark O'Brien. Your money's on the desk over there. Yes, it is. That was the wrong way to start off. It really was. Shall we start again? Please. You stay. I'm not a prostitute. You don't have to pay me up front. And there's a limit to the number of sessions we can have. The limit is six. Shall we get undressed? Sure. First session. He was extremely nervous. So let's forget about it. Mark, do you want to see this woman or not? No. Oh, it's too late. What floor? 18th floor. What kind of therapist is she? She's a sex therapist. Today they're working on simultaneous orgasm. What's that? You're going to start to listen to signals from your body. That way you'll be able to have some control. Oh, God. I understand even among non-believers, the most common expression of sexual ecstasy is, oh, God. <laughs> Picture yourself as a six-year-old boy. Do you blame him for getting polio? What is she like? Cheryl. She's the most wonderful person on the planet. I don't usually meet with clients outside of work. We don't have to do much talking. I just want people to say, hey, who's that gimp with that beautiful blonde? <laughs> what happens when people become attached to each other? Maybe this is a bad idea. I think you've done a great thing. She adores me, and I can get pretty kinky. Am I sharing too much, Father? Go on. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, if you haven't seen it, you may want to see it because there's more to it than that. But the journey to be able to touch, the journey to be able to know someone and have someone know you, the journey to be able to have your body be a part of that. And I love that question in the middle of it where she says, Are, do you blame yourself for having polio? Do you need to punish yourself for that? And that this is the result of a disease you had no control over because certainly things happen in our life where we have no control over them. And I love it that he has to go to the priest for uh, permission. You know, we still sometimes in these days or lives need to ask for permission to do what is normal and natural for us. 
to reach out and touch others and have them touch us in ways that are healing and whole for us. Or Arthur Bromley in our, the book Good Christian Six, Sex says this, I don't believe in inevitable progress, but I do believe in the steadfast grace of God, the love that will not let us go, the hope that God's time is ever transforming me and you and the world toward love. I know women and men who were made to suffer, but who know life again and know it in abundance and joy. There can never be justice at all if it is the victim whose needs and safety are sacrificed for a veneer of reconciliation. There never can be justice if it's on the backs of the victims. There never can be. Those who are made to suffer, but again, no life in abundance and joy. Some of you may know what that's like in your own life. Back in my counseling days, I had a woman who was 45 come to see me and talk to me for a while. And after some months in having sessions with her, she decided to share with me that when she was five years old, she had been sexually abused. The rules weren't fair in her home keeping older people from younger people and power, not corrupting those without power. She told the stories of how that continued in her life, five, seven, nine, eleven, and how there seemed to be a pattern to it, how it was almost like a ritual, how the same things would happen over and over again, and how her parents allowed it and knew about it. And as she talked, you could tell that she really hadn't told anyone this before. And so the naming of the truth for her was part of what the healing was for her. After a while, she brought in this newspaper article she found. She says, I want to try this. I think it might help me. And we read the article together, and we planned a special service for her, because in the newspaper article, it had talked about how um, in sexual abuse, often fluids are involved that the person feels stained by. And in this article, it talked about using all the rituals of healing, the fluids of oil, the fluids of water, so that you could then help the person overcome those senses of what their body was to them. So we planned a time, and she invited some special friends who had just been brought into the circle of trust. We met in the small chapel, and in the small chapel, she spread out pictures of herself, five years old, Seven years old. Do you blame yourself for having polio? She would blame herself that this had happened to her. And so we went through each age, five, seven, nine, eleven, and as we went through those ages, we would pray, put water on her feet, on her hands, on her forehead, put oil on her feet, on her hands, on her forehead. And then we would move to the next picture. She would ask herself to forgive her little self for not being able to take care of her. And she had to do it over and over again. And tears were common throughout the service, both from her and her friends and from me, because I would get choked up and I couldn't move on through it. We finally got to the end of the photographs where she asked herself to forgive herself at each age and had the healing of baptismal waters and anointing oil 
remind her of her body as good and holy. Everyone gathered around her and put their hands on her with a healing touch, praying for her to be free, free from these barriers where people did not play fair, free from all these things in life, free from blaming herself for what had happened to her. And she started living life with joy and abundance in a way she hadn't. The iron lung with which she had been living was released. And she was able, step by step, to become new again. It matters if we play fair or not. It matters whether we take advantage of power or whether we choose Jesus' way of relationship and vulnerability. It matters to ourselves, to our being, and it matters to others. There's a Roman Catholic theologian. Her name is Donna Frietus. And she said she feels sad for these sexually liberated college students who are having terrible sex. Get that phrase? Sexually liberated students having terrible sex. She says, if you're going to be liberated, shouldn't you at least be enjoying it? If you're going to be liberated, if you're going to be free, if you're going to have life joyful and abundant, shouldn't you at least enjoy it? She was talking to these students who thought they were liberated, but at the same time didn't seem to be having very much fun. Goodness, I know some marriages like that, but she was talking about college students. You know, she was talking about college students. You know, I'm confessing to you today that I'm a little bit of a prude when it comes to all this stuff. Just a little, who laughed? I'm a little bit of a prude when it comes to this stuff. You know, just pretty, just plain, you know, when it comes to these things of, in my life, in my love. I do believe that I touch and no healing, but I'm a little bit of a prude. So it was kind of a shock for me my first year as a therapist when I was working at a counseling center for HIV and AIDS clients and their allies that I became an expert in the leather community of Houston, Texas. <laughs> an expert, I'm telling you. I still have good creds with this. You know, I even have, I'm wearing my little cross with the leather strap today in honor of that time together that one of the members of the community gave to me. But um, I had helped one person came in and talked to me, and they were looking for some particular assistance, and, and he felt good about what occurred to him. And so he told all his friends. So you never knew what would show up in our church office. And our church receptionist was a volunteer, 85 years old, with piled up hair, kind of lavender to pink, depending on how she felt high heels and pearls, and, and she was the best little Christian woman. She'd go to say, hi, darling, welcome. Come on in. I'll go let him know you're here. And then she'd look into my office, and she'd say, I think you have a visitor. <laughs> because people would show up sometimes with, like, chains around their necks with a little padlock, uh, some other kind of gear, a nose ring, a hat, you know, one-time full chaps, but they did have jeans under them, so they were mostly covered. But... Um, so this time with the leather community, it was interesting because I learned many things. I learned that they talk to one another. I learned that they tell each other what they like and what they don't like. I learned that they believe that any contact with someone else, any touch should be safe, should be sane, should be consensual, and that they know what consent means. There's no confusion. They've talked about what consent means. They don't have to go to court to figure out what that is. And so we could learn something from our leather brothers and sisters about what it means to touch in a safe, sane, and consensual manner. 
You know, and I, sometimes we give them a hard time for this, uh, this unique interest, you know, but if you like feathers or boas, if you like cowboy gear, if you like, you know, whatever it is you like, you just like it. And if it helps you touch someone else, maybe it's just love waiting to happen. Maybe it's just, you know, some people like this collar, it makes them all hot. I swear, I kid you not, over the years, I've been so amazed. I thought, what? What? You know, goodness gracious. I'm married, thank you. I appreciate it, I'm flattered, and I have a husband, you know. But so... um, in that time with my expertise with the leather community, a fellow came and was talking to me. And um, after time, he shared so much of his life, it became clear to me that what he was doing in his sexual patterns, in his sexual routine, was repeating exactly what his father had done to him when he was six years old. And he would plan it out, he would map it out. He would map out exact things his father had done, which was punish then after punish, hug, and beg for forgiveness and cry. And he would act that out in the leather community, which was sometimes a very, uh, a very open way to express affection for one another. But in his case, he was trying still to control what happened to him when he was six years old. And he was trying to do it specifically by controlling his current sex life. When we were in a session and we finally shared that, and he finally looked at me and his, he was kind of in shock when it just, the scales fell from his eyes because he'd been saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm liberated. You know, I'm enjoying this. And then it became clear that he was repeating that pattern. He wasn't happy at first. He was actually angry because his normal routine didn't work anymore. And he had to figure out a new way to be able to touch others and to care for others. But he did. And he found healing and he found joy and he found abundance that he did not know before when he was still trying to control what had happened in his past. So many of us still need to learn about what it means to simply touch and what to do with playing by rules where we respect one another, where we love one another, where we care for one another, and where we also care for ourselves and respect ourselves and love ourselves. So since we're talking about leather, I thought we should talk about Batman. He has to be a leather guy, don't you think? He just has to be. Batman does have to be a leather guy. He's tough. He wears that outfit. You know, I think, I think he should be an emblem. Last night, we did a wedding in here. Not, well, not last night. Before Pride Parade, I did a wedding for Raphael and Bobby. And Raphael, the Andrade family, said uh, they gave uh, Bobby a new nickname because he, everyone in the family had to have a nickname. And so they named Bobby Batman. And so the niece is up here giggling and explaining it. It says, we named him Batman because he's our hero. You know, they named him Batman. But even Batman can be afraid. So I want you to see this clip from the movie. What's Batman? Lego Batman. What's Lego Batman afraid of? You live on an island figuratively and literally. Yeah, I love it. You can't spend the rest of your life alone, dressed in black, listening to angry music and staying up all night. Yes, I can, because I'm Batman. But don't you think it's time you finally faced your greatest fear? Snakes? No. Clowns? No. Snake clowns? Bruce, listen. Your greatest fear is 
being a part of a family again. No, now it's snake clouds because you put that idea in my head. Master Bruce, you live on an island. I can do this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need anyone. I don't need family. I'd rather be afraid of snake clowns because I think I might be able to control them. Intimacy can be one of the most scary things in our world and in our life. Bromley says this, intimacy is not a mind meld. Think of Spock, not a mind meld. Not a once and for always connection. And what it is, is an opening of ourselves to be changed through relationship. An opening of ourselves to be changed through relationship. Like Jesus, offering relationship and vulnerability instead of power over. Bromley goes on to say, it's not sex outside marriage that threatens us. It's our fear of living and growing in intimacy with others. It's not sex outside marriage. It's the fear of living and growing in intimacy. And then she says, the call of the gospel is not to protect ourselves at all costs, but to risk ourselves in love. When we touch with relationship, with vulnerability, with openness to find ourselves changed, we're doing what Jesus did. When we touch in those ways, we are risking ourselves in love that we may know joy in abundance, that we may know healing in abundance. These rules, safe rules, playing fair, they are still a challenge, even in our own homes. You know, we need to play by the rules. The Colossians lesson says not to lie, not to betray others. Can we try and do what Jesus did our song for this time period has been uh, resist. And I love it because it says, pray for your enemy and welcome the stranger, love your neighbor. We're in it till the end. And that's scriptural. That's from Matthew and some other places. And Jesus says, you've been told, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for your persecutors. This proves that you're my children. This proves that you're children of God. It's not always easy to do, but it is what God calls us to do. So as we close this series, we have to choose when we tough, do we want to go it alone? Or when we touch, do we want to need one another? It's the gospel call. It's really not an option. Jesus says we do it together. Oh, people of resurrection, as we close this series, Welcome the stranger. Pray for your enemy. Love your neighbor. Do it over and over and over again, risking in love. Amen.